Next week, we are launching officially our Bible study series, a six-week series called Life with God. Um, uh, this, if you read the perspective column, this a couple weeks ago, I was playing golf with some pastors, and uh, uh, we're just hanging out together, getting to know each other, and uh, I asked this one pastor, you know, hey, what are you preaching on this fall? And, and he said, I'm preaching on Romans, and I heard you guys preached on Romans last year, and, and then he said, you know, can I borrow that phrase, courtroom to living room? And I said, oh, absolutely, you can, you can borrow whatever you want. I borrowed that phrase from a spiritual mentor of mine. He spoke to me. I asked him where he got it. He said he couldn't remember, so we'll just keep passing that on. Uh, it's, just, it's just the truth of Scripture. And, um, and so, you know, we were talking about Romans, and he turned around and asked me, he said, hey, what are you preaching on this fall? And I, I said, well, we're, we're preaching on Leviticus, and uh, he looked at me and said, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny, but seriously, what are you preaching on? Uh, I said, no, we're, we're preaching on Leviticus. And he stopped and looked at me and said, why? Um, and I said, well, it's, it's, it's in the Bible, it's third book in the Old Testament. Um, but it is one of those books that, you know, if you, if, you, if you start your reading plan in January, you want to read through the Bible in a year, you get through Genesis, and man, all those great stories, you get to Exodus, and you, and you see how God saves his people, and then you run into this massive wall called Leviticus. What in the world is going on here? All these bizarre statements about mildew and mold and sores, and it's just like, this is bizarre uh, and, uh, and so Leviticus oftentimes is, is a book that's very difficult to understand. What in the world's going on here? Now, I know some of you in the room are old enough to remember a, 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 a series that you went through in kindergarten and first grade. It was these books that you read. They were called Dick and Jane. Anyone remember Dick and Jane? Uh, some of you are younger going, that was a movie, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it was, but actually those of us have been around a little while. Uh, Dick and Jane was, uh, uh, it, it was... It was teaching kids how to read. When you're in kindergarten or first grade, you had these, uh, these, these primer books, Dick and Jane. You know, the books were great because lots of pictures, uh, not a lot of sentences on the page, and very basic. See Dick run. See Jane run. See Dick and Jane chase Spot who's running. You know, it's just stuff like that. Then you have a picture, and, and kids would read them because what they're doing is they're learning how to read. They're, they, it's, it's sort of, a, you know, it's like... Uh, taking letters and combining them into short words and learning how to speak them. And, and kids do that, and kids still do that. I mean, there's ABC books. I have a granddaughter. Her name is Finn. She's about 19 months old, and I, she sits on my lap, and I read her books that are just very, very basic. And she can't read, but she knows what a horse is, and she knows what a dog is, and knows the sounds they make. And, and we read together because she's starting to learn how to read. It's just starting with the basics, the ABCs. The reason I share that with you is because as we enter into Leviticus, what you need to understand is that Leviticus is, is like a, a Dick and Jane book. It's, it's like a, an ABC book. It's a primer in, uh, in, in how to do life with God. It's just very basic of here's how you do life with, with God. Now, the reason it's an ABC book and is... It, well, you need to understand the context of what's been happening behind the scenes. So let me just get you caught up a little bit, because you remember a guy named Abraham. Abraham is, is minding his own business one day in his own home country. God comes to him and says, I want you to pick up everything and move to a new land. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great, and the nations are going to be blessed through you. Abraham, in faith, steps out and goes to this new land. He gets there. He has his wife, Sarah, with him. 
And God promises them a, a son, and, uh, but they're pretty old, and they're not supposed to have kids because they're beyond the, the, the child, you know, uh, birthing age. And, and so they kind of concoct their own plan. That's where Ishmael comes along. And, uh, but eventually, the promised son comes. His name is Isaac. And Isaac, he gets married, and he has a family as well. He has twin boys, Jacob and Esau. And, uh, and if you follow that story, you find this in the book of Genesis, by the way. Uh, Jacob and Esau, Jacob has kids. He has 12 sons who end up being the, the names, the sons' names of the tribes of Israel. And uh, the youngest son, uh, or one of the younger sons, Joseph, he is, uh, he's like the, the, the spoiled kid. Uh, Jacob sort of treats him better. He has a special coat. The other brothers are a bit incensed by it. And so they uh, one, one day decide to, to sell him off into slavery. And uh, he's, uh, he's sold into slavery in Egypt. They tell dad he was killed by a, a, a wild animal. And Joseph is in prison. And through God's sovereignty, he ends up being like the second in command in Egypt. Uh, and, and then back home, there's a famine, and so family has to come down, and what they don't know is they're buying food from Joseph, uh, and then there's this revealing that, uh, that, that God has positioned Joseph so the family would be saved, and so uh, people would, would, would survive and be able to eat, and uh, Jacob, uh, whose name is changed to Israel, is down there in Egypt with his family, and the family grows, now, over time, this Pharaoh who was delighted in Joseph, he passes away, and as the family grows, it becomes a multitude. They're called the Hebrews, and uh, another Pharaoh takes power and sees this multitude of people and is afraid of them, intimidated by them, because if, they, if, they have, if there's a civil war, they're going to take over. They outnumber them. So Pharaoh decides that he is going to enslave them. They will become slaves. In fact, for over 400 years, the Hebrews are enslaved in Egypt. And uh, they're in the construction business. They're making bricks. They're, uh, they're working hard day after day, making bricks and being enslaved, treated brutally and harshly. And after the 400 years is, is, is wrapping up, God raises up a deliverer. His name is Moses. And you know that Moses goes down to Egypt and he says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no way. And then there's plagues and judgments. And finally, there's this Passover night. And these people that, who have been enslaved for over 400 years, people of the promise, they are, they are taken out of Egypt in one night on Passover night. And they're leaving Egypt. And God's going to take them to the promised land. They get to the shores of the Red Sea. And they hear some noise behind them. And they turn around and look. And there's chariots. Egypt's military is chasing them. And they're stuck between the Red Sea and these chariots, and it's not looking good. Until Moses stretches out his staff, the Red Sea parts, the people go through, they get to the other side. Egypt's military comes chasing through the Red Sea that's been parted, and as they're in the Red Sea, the sea walls come crashing in, and, uh, and the Egyptian army is conquered, and the people have been saved. They have been delivered by God, and now they're in the wilderness. But... Now they need to learn how to do life with God. A God they've only heard about through stories. A God who now appears during the day as a pillar of cloud and by night as a pillar of fire. How do we do life with this God? Who is this God? We were back in Egypt and there's a lot of, a lot of gods. But now who is this God and how do we relate to him? So it's in the wilderness 
So again, this is all the context for, Le- for Leviticus. Now in the wilderness, what God does is he's going to give his people an ABC book on how to do life with him. God is going to give his people a Dick and Jane book to help them understand how to do life with him. In fact, God introduces himself in the book of Leviticus, chapter 11. Uh, God says this, Hi, my name is God. It doesn't really say that, but sort of like this. For I, the Lord, am the one who brought you up from the land of Egypt, that I might be your God. Therefore, you must be holy because I am holy. Hi, my name is God. I'm the one who brought you up out of Egypt. I am holy, so you are going to be holy. Leviticus 18, verses uh, 1 through 5, kind of develop it a little bit more. Then the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. I am the Lord your God, so do not act like the people in Egypt where you used to live or like the people of Canaan where I am taking you. You must not imitate their way of life. You must obey all my regulations and be careful to obey my decrees. For I am the Lord your God. If you obey my decrees and my regulations, you will find life through them. I am the Lord. Hi, my name is God. Welcome to the wilderness. I am holy. You're going to be holy. You were back there in Egypt. I don't want you to live like the Egyptians. I'm taking you to a new land, the land of Canaan, and I don't want you to live like the people that are in that land there. I want you to follow my decrees, my regulations, because in them is life. I am holy. I am the Lord. So God is saying, here, here's how I want you to do life with me. You are going to be, uh, you're going to be holy as I am holy. Now, holiness is a concept that often is misunderstood. We don't quite understand. We, we, we have some understanding of holiness, but um, in your heads right now, here's what I want you to do. In your heads, I want you to, you know, in a, just in a short sentence, define what holiness is. Okay? So just in your head, or maybe you want to write down on a piece of paper or, you know, put it on your smartphone or whatever. What, what is holiness? Define holiness in your head. Got it? Now, turn to the person sitting next to you and share with them what your definition of holiness is. Just short, 10 seconds, and have them share with you. And by the way, your definition of holiness cannot be to be holy. That didn't work in high school. It doesn't work here, okay? We all tried it. I did. Uh, but just, just share that basic definition with somebody. Take 10 seconds to do that. Now, you share your definition. This, this is holiness. All right, so raise your hand if you heard holiness is to be pure. Raise your hand. Okay, quite a few hands. Raise your hand if, uh, you, if, you, if you heard something, holiness is to be without sin. Okay, some more hands. Good. Raise your hand if you heard something like holiness means to be set apart. Okay, a lot. All those things are true about holiness, but in and of itself, that really isn't what holiness is. It took me a long time to understand, to get this in my own head. What is holiness? You're on the right track, but let me just break it down for you. Holiness comes from this, this, this root word that means to cut. 
it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an action that comes from the garment industry, uh, you know, back in the day. Uh, when you would you'd weave cloth, uh, you would create a, 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 some linen, and uh, maybe you had a bolt of linen, and you looked at the linen, and as you examined it, what you would do is you would look for the best part of the cloth that you have made. You would identify it, and you would want to take that, maybe you had a special project, or maybe you had a customer, and what you'd want to do is save that best piece of cloth and set it apart. So what you'd do is you would cut it, take the very best, and set it apart, and then you would do some other things with what was left over. What, what this looks like in our home is when Trina makes muffins or cookies for people she works with, she makes batches of cookies, and when she's done making the cookies, she examines all the cookies or muffins, she takes the very best ones, puts them in a basket, and gives them away to other people. Those of us at home are left over with the things that didn't make the cut. You following me? Okay, they're still good, they're still good. They just didn't make the cut. The very best were set aside. Uh, they, they were in a class by themselves. When I worked for uh, Lure Jensen, it was a fishing tackle company uh, in Hood River, Oregon. When a batch of uh, fishing lures would come through, you get a lot of 144 of it, whatever uh, uh, you know, piece of uh, lure was being made. It would get to the end, we had a criteria for what was acceptable, what needed to, what would be classified as a second. We wouldn't sell it. We would look at it, and we would set apart uh, the, the lures that were going to be sold. They would, you know, they'd be in Walmart or Target or wherever. And then we'd, we'd, we'd keep the ones behind that we would, uh, uh, we, we call seconds. That, that's kind of a picture of what it means uh, to, to, uh, to act holy. It, it's, to, it's to cut or to set apart. What you're saying is that these things, these cookies, this cloth, these, these fishing lures are a cut above. That's part of the definition of holiness. R.C. Sproul um, really captures what I think is the best, the, the second part of holiness. And he kind of puts these two together. Sproul says, holiness is to be an infinite cut above everything else. God is in a class by himself. God is a cut above everything and everyone else. He is in a class by himself, which helps you understand passages like the one in Revelation chapter 4. Living creatures around the throne, day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. What those living creatures are saying is, God is in a class by himself. God is in a class by himself. God is in a class by himself. God, uh, God is a cut above. God is a cut above. God is a cut above. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So notice that what the angels don't say is pure, 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 or merciful, 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 or loving, loving, loving. Is God pure? Yes. Is he merciful? Absolutely. Is he loving? Most certainly. But the reality is whatever attribute of God exists, he is in a class by himself, whether it's justice, righteousness, love, Joy, you name it, whatever attribute that you might think of God, he is in a class by himself. He is transcendent. Are you tracking with me? It's really important to understand this. He is a cut above. He's set apart. He's in a class by himself. Hi, my name is God. Welcome to the wilderness. I'm going to give you an ABC book. Here's what I want you to know. I, I'm in a class by myself. 
and you are gonna be in class by yourself. You are gonna be a cut above. Not in some legalistic, mean-spirited, rule-producing kind of way so that you can say you're better than the other person. No, 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 that's not what God's saying. What he's saying is, I want you to be like me. That is holiness. God is in a class by himself. He is an infinite cut above everything and everyone else. And that's who he is. And so what he does is he gives his people that he's just saved. By the way, interesting to note, isn't it? The people didn't have to get holy before he saved them. You'll see that again in the New Testament. He saved them, and now he's going to transform them. So now he gives them an ABC book. He gives them a Dick and Jane book. This is holiness. Here's what, I want you to be like me. So as we start our series next week, officially, A Life with God, let's just step back for a moment, kind of like we did with Romans, and let's just, at 30,000 foot level, let's see what's going on here in the book of Leviticus. So that when we start diving in on some of these topics in these next six weeks, you have some sort of setting and understanding of why certain things are being said or certain things are happening. So 30,000 feet, let's just break out Leviticus because Leviticus has two parts. You got chapters one through 17. Uh, Here's the two parts of Leviticus. Chapters one through 17, I am holy. This is God saying, here's who I am. And I'm speaking in general terms here in in these first chapters. I am holy. Chapters 18 through 27 are I am holy, so you are gonna be holy. You just cut that book almost in, in, in half. First half, God saying, I'm holy. Second half, I'm holy, so you're gonna be holy. And there's two questions then that Leviticus answers. And the first question is this. How do sinful people approach a holy God? I mean, God's an infinite cut above everything and everyone else. He's in a class by himself. So then how do I, a just kind of a normal person who struggles with with a whole host of things, how do I then approach this holy God? Well, what Leviticus is going to teach the people who've just been saved, what, he's, what, what Leviticus is going to do, this ABC book is going to do, is going to say, here's how you approach God. First thing you're going to do is you're going to approach through offerings. Chapters 1 through 7 Leviticus, you've got a bunch of offerings. Burnt offerings, sin offerings, guilt offerings, peace offerings, all kinds of offerings in the first seven chapters. And then what's going to happen is after you do the offerings, you're going to approach me through the priests, who, by the way, were just a few days earlier slaves. But what God is gonna do, he's gonna set them apart. They're gonna be in a class by themselves and they're gonna serve as priests. So Leviticus eight through 10, you've got this whole initiation of what it means to be a priest. So you're gonna approach God through offerings, you're gonna approach God through priests. The third way you're gonna approach God is through acts of ceremonial cleansing, which is where you get into all these kind of strange requirements. It's, It's ceremony. It's, hey, you've got mildew on your tent. Here's what you need to do. All right, you got, you got a fly in your soup. Here's what you do. You, you start reading Leviticus, you go, what, what is going on here? Well, they're the ceremonial acts of cleansing. God is teaching them how to approach him. And he's giving them the law as well. Uh, fourth, we have acts of national cleansing. This is the day of atonement. So as a nation, they would, in Leviticus 16, we have this national act of cleansing, this day of atonement. And then number five is, it happens at one place, the altar. You approach God through offerings, through priests, 
through acts of ceremonial cleansing with a national day of, of, of ceremonial cleansing, and you do it at the altar. That's how people approach a holy God. Now, by the way, it's really interesting. If you can stick with this in Leviticus, because I, I'll just be honest with you, it's not the most captivating book in the Bible, which is why we all hit that wall when we're reading. Um, but if you can get a hold of Leviticus, the rest of the scriptures are gonna make a whole lot more sense to you. So we're approaching God. Here's how we're approaching. That's the first question Leviticus answers. The second question Leviticus answers, you'll find in, uh, in chapters 18 through 27, what does practical holiness look like, specifically for the people? I mean, think about it for a moment. You're having coffee with someone. They, they don't know who God is, and you're trying to explain to them, hey, here's what holiness means, and here's practically the implications for your life. Where do you start well, where, where, do you, where do you start when you, when you start thinking about practical steps for holiness? Well, interestingly enough, when God is trying to teach his people the ABCs, he's going to use Dick and Jane sort of statements, and what he's going to do, the very first place he's going to start is holiness in respect to how we treat people. I don't know if that's the first place you'd start, but that's where God, God starts. That's letter A. We'll get to letter B, but let's get letter A down first. And, and by the way, that's when you start reading uh, in Leviticus chapter 18, the first place God starts, a little bit awkward, he talks about sexuality. He talks about all the inappropriate expressions of sexuality. The reason he does is remember, that's what they did in Egypt. And by the way, that's what's happening in Canaan, and I don't want you to live like that. Here's the appropriate response, the, the, the appropriate way to express sexuality. That's chapter 18. So we read those after the kids go to bed. But we get to chapter 19, we start seeing the practical implications for relationships. So here, here's what, we're, I'm gonna just read some of these verses. Do not steal, do not deceive or cheat one another, do not bring shame on the name of your God, do not defraud or rob your neighbor, do not make your hired workers wait until the next day to receive their pay, don't insult the deaf or cause the blind to stumble, don't twist justice, always judge people fairly, don't spread slanderous gossip among people, don't stand idly by when your neighbor's life is being threatened, and on and on and on it goes. Here's, here's let me, I am holy, Hi, my name is God. Welcome to the wilderness. I've just saved you. I am holy. I'm in a class by myself. I'm a cut above. And I want you to be in a class by yourself, not in a, in a, in a legalistic, mean-spirited way, rule-keeping way. I want you to be in a class by yourself. And practically what this means is how you treat people. That's letter A, the very beginning. And let's just stop for a moment and say, you know, might be good for us to learn ABCs again, wouldn't it? The second place God goes in practical holiness, what he's going to do here, he's going to give practical holiness steps for the priests. So you'll find that in, in, in chapters 21 through 22 and 24. Remember, they've been set apart. There are people set apart for people to approach God. So there's going to be practical holiness for the priests. And then when we get to this third one here is chapter 23, holiness in regards to time. Leviticus chapter 23 is all about the feasts, Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and trumpets and tabernacles. And uh, when you think feast, 
Maybe especially, we, we talked about Thanksgiving a little bit earlier. We think turkey and mashed potatoes or a ham or pumpkin pie, whatever you think about when you think about Thanksgiving. And you're already looking forward to lunch. But feast is, you know, feast is food. But when you look at Leviticus 23 and you look at these so-called feasts, you find that some of them have some good food in them and other ones have nothing to do with food. So why are they called a feast? Well, that Hebrew word that's translated feast in English also means appointed time. They were appointed times, sometimes to feast, sometimes to gather together for a national act of cleansing or to remember an act of God in their life. In fact, the Hebrew calendar, 20% of their calendar were appointed times. And do you know the very first thing that God called holy? Genesis chapter two, verse three. On the seventh day he rested and he called it holy. The seventh day is to be in a class by itself. The seventh day is to be a cut above how I treat my other days. What God is saying is he's saying time. Time. Holiness, letter A, I need to be a cut above in how I, how I treat people. I need to be a cut above in how I handle my time. And then fourthly, what we get to is in regards to our resources or our money. Um, look at, I mean, I'll just, I'll just read. You don't have to look there, but I'll read some of the uh, uh, things from Leviticus chapter 25. And listen to how God talks about economic holiness. When you make an agreement with your neighbor to buy or sell property, you must not take advantage of each other. Anyone who sells a house inside a walled town has the right to buy it back for a full year after its sale. If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and is forced to sell himself to you, do not treat him as a slave. Treat him instead as a hired worker or as a temporary resident who lives with you, and he will serve you only until the year of Jubilee. Chapter 27, here's a few verses from chapter 27 on regards to economic holiness. All payments must be measured by the weight of the sanctuary shekel. That's going to be the currency rate. Whatever a shekel weighs at the, as a sanctuary, that's, that's the plumb line for the weight of a shekel. One-tenth or a tithe of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. C- can you hear it? Here's how you handle resources. Here's here's how you treat people who are in poverty. Here's how you give back to God. Here's what currency is. It's all holiness in regards to resources or how we handle our money. So here's God. Hi, my name is God. We're in the wilderness. I'm in a class all by myself. I'm an infinite cut above everything and everyone else. I am holy, you are gonna be holy, you are gonna live a life that's an infinite cut above everything and everyone else. I don't want you to be like the people in Egypt and I don't want you to be like the people in Canaan. I don't want you to be American, I don't want you to be Spanish, I don't want you to be Russian, I don't want you to be French. There's good things in those cultures, but they're man-made. I want you to live by my culture, by this kingdom culture that will be revealed also in the New Testament. Here's how I want you to live. And practically, the implications, letter A, B, C, where we start is how we treat people, how we handle our time, and how we handle our resources. And those are the A, B, Cs of holiness. C. Dick Run. C. Jane Run. C. Spot Run Away from Dick and Jane. It's just very basic. And maybe... God's calling us back to the basics because we've misunderstood what holiness is all about. Remember, 
This happens after they're saved. This isn't about cleaning up so you can be saved. I know the Egyptian chariots are coming, and, uh, but here's some things I want you to do before I open up the sea. No, no, that's not what he does. Saves them and says, I'm holy, so you're going to be holy. So maybe today, over a cup of coffee or over a dinner table conversation with your kids, a trusted friend, you could start with letter A and ask each other, ask yourself this question, how am I doing, am I living a life a cut above in regards to how I treat people? Do I send email bombs or email blessings? Do I slander or do I build up? Do I discourage or do I encourage? Am I harsh or am I gentle? How do I treat people? We all have our blind spots. But that's letter A. Let's have that conversation this week. Or letter B, how are you handling your time? Are you, are you treating time uh, that you're in its own class by itself? Are, are you getting time with God? Are you setting aside a day where you can rest? Where you just respond to what God has been doing? How are you handling your time? Are, are, you, are you having time with God? Or have you been caught up in this busy, doing, suffocating rhythm that so much of our culture and cultures of our world are committed to? Thirdly, is how am I doing in regards to my resources? Am I spending more than I'm earning? Um, am, uh, am, I, am I giving back to God? How, how am I handling my resources? Have I been infected by this consumerism or materialism bug? Am I greedy or am I generous? How am I doing in regards, am I holy with my resources? Letter A, letter B, letter C. Because we want to ask these questions because God is in a class by himself and he wants us to live like him. Let's worship this God who is an infinite cut above everything else.